So when people say, oh, like, let's talk about transgender issues. And I'm like, how about let's talk about cisgender issues? Because I don't have the issues, you know, it's your issue with me. Welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to gender euphoria. I am one of your hosts, Robin, and I'm here with the very smiley and present Sarah. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing okay. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we just recorded our interview for today, so I yeah. do think it helped reset my mood a little bit. Oh, good. Where was your mood? You got, you got fuck yeahs or? Well, okay. I, I could give a fuck yeah. But I am not going to. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I think I, you know, things are like going generally really well for me right now. No complaints. I'm keeping up with my meditation routine and doing six minutes every day. I found a tree that I really love to meditate under at the end mm. of my hike. It's so nice. I feel very connected. But I think this week I am having, we haven't talked a lot about Gaza on yeah. the podcast and I am feeling irresponsible mm -hmm. about that because it is something that is part of my daily life and that I am thinking about a lot and, and, you know, trying to figure out like, what are the organizations like, or the mutual aid or whatever to donate to. Mostly I feel just this overwhelming sense of helplessness about mm -hmm. it. And as the election is mm. kind of starting to ramp up, I'm feeling a lot of anger over the fact that our candidates are going to be yeah. Joe Biden and fucking Donald Trump yeah. and that neither of them have any desire to challenge Israel on the genocide that is happening right now. I mean, just the absolute extinction of an entire nation mm -hmm. and the fact that women and girls don't have access to menstrual products. Mm -hmm. They're having to use tents and are getting like horrible infections. The, the death rate, the fact that people are starving, mm -hmm. it's just like Zionism is rooted in colonialism and white supremacy and all of the things that are so problematic about the founding of our nation. Mm -hmm. And like this week, we did response videos to the Oscar snubs, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, that's what the TikTok culture <laughs> calls for. And it feels fun to be part of conversations that are happening on social media. And it's like, but ultimately, it's easier to do that. Like, that's a quick yeah. way of being part of a conversation. But it's so vapid. Mm -hmm. And at the same time... <laughs> what is happening in the world right now, I just actually can't believe that yeah. we still live in a world where our country is supporting this and not actively taking a stand against this humanitarian crisis. Mm -hmm. 
So all of that is to say that I appreciate my daily routines that make me feel very (laughs) grounded. And I really appreciate these conversations we have on the podcast. But I also feel like it is a we have a responsibility to say something about the atrocities that are happening in the person right now that I'm following wizard underscore Bison one, I think is her um, handle. She's still in the refugee camps in Southern Gaza and reporting every day. And I, I just encourage people to follow her. There's also a GoFundMe on her Instagram page that gives some direct support to her family and, and the folks in her area. And, um, you know, just, I mean, I, I guess just a couple points of entry in terms of like why I think this matters and relates to the things that we talk about here. You know, there was a video that I saw recently about this 5,000 year old statue honoring the goddess of love, Anat. Mm. Mm. And it was recently destroyed in the bombings, Yeah, you know, so it's just like there is this really rich feminist history Mm -hmm. and culture that is being wiped out and children and women and girls are living in unbearable conditions right now. So it's hard, right? Like every day feels like... It's like, gosh, what can I as an individual do about this? And I I feel pretty helpless and powerless. So this is my one small thing I can do is talk about it and say that it matters to me and that it's really fucking not okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think kind of whatever side of the issue that you fall on. And of course, October 7th was an absolute atrocity and a terrorist attack. But what's happening right now today mm-hmm. is um, impacting the people of Gaza far more than it is Hamas. And I just don't personally think that the human toll is worth right. the... Yeah, whatever case you can make for the quote unquote war, it's not a war. It's mm-hmm. a, you know, it is a, um, annihilation. It's, it's an annihilation. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, probably with no real end in sight. I do think the awareness is a big part that's changed mm-hmm. people's um, awareness of it and what's, um, you know, the driving forces rather than this pretending that it's about these bickerings, you know, mm-hmm. or that it's about, you know, hating a certain group. Anyway, it's a hard subject. It's a hard subject. I've been feeling like wanting to talk about it as well, but and it's hard because it's not necessarily our lane, but it's kind of everyone's lane at the yeah. same time. It's like a humanity lane. So it's hard when you're not um, specialized in a certain subject that is so sensitive and touchy to talk about it. But it is, like you're saying, it's still important to to talk about it and to bring awareness to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all we can do. We can witness. You know, if you find that you've got money, you can donate. I mean, mm-hmm. Wizard Bassan, again, is uh, has a GoFundMe. There's also the Palestinian Children's relief fund which i did some research into it's a u.s based organization but they are doing direct aid 
um, mm-hmm. and it's, it seems well respected. So that might be an option too for folks if you've got money to give. Yeah. And if you have any recommendations, you can send them to us and we yes, could please. talk about that. If you think that there's certain places that it's best to put your money, certain people to write to stuff like that, we would love to hear from you about it. Yeah. yeah, pod at Gmail, <laughs> comments and such. Um, I feel like we got a, a little bit traded places um, last week. Right. It was my fuck yeah, and I was so bummed. <laughs> I was down in the basement last week, and um, and, now, and now it's your turn, because I feel pretty good today, but I feel yeah. your, your fuck no. I feel it, you know. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think that we have to give space for all of the range yes. of feelings here. And like I said, you know, I, uh, I knew it was my fuck yeah today. And so I was like, oh, maybe I just talk about meditation. And I was like, I can't. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we do have an, a really interesting guest on today yes. who I am very excited to be in conversation with. We're going to take a little bit of a left turn right now. We have Beck G. Cohen, who is a master's level clinician and has assumed a pivotal role in shaping the landscape of LGBTQ plus inclusivity and support. And he does trainings. He's a facilitator. He has worked in addiction counseling. Um, You know, he works in the clinical space and also happens to be, you know, a super hot trans Mm -hmm. uh, leather I'm not going to call him daddy because I don't know if he is. I don't know if that's how, but like, that's how I perceive him. Mm -hmm. um, You know, kind of a leather cowboy daddy. Um, And he's a smarty pants. Yeah. Let's talk to Beck about what queer joy is all about. Oh yeah. Can't wait. Beck, welcome. We're so excited to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Super stoked to be here. We like to start with a few warm-up questions. We'll start you off easy. Okay. What was the last picture on your phone? <laughs> uh, it's a very telling question. It's a simple but very telling yeah. question. No, for sure. Um, so I recently got a new tattoo. Mm. And so therefore, it was the last picture on my phone because I had to send it to my boyfriend who is not around. He's he's on the East Coast right now. So I was like, here's a picture of my new tattoo. I would show you, but it probably would be, you know. Oh, so you're sending those kind of pictures. Yeah, it was just the tattoo. That's mm-hmm. the oh, whole yeah. Yeah. Very, okay. <laughs> very, very upstanding. Yeah. <laughs> first question, I'm already sweating. Yeah, That's okay. Fine. How about this one? Who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, um, Drew Barrymore. Ooh, which one? Which one? I mean, I was like five when E.T. came out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like it was like from the start, from the get. <sighs> I was like, I love you. Guys you guys were the same age. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because growing up, I had all of these pictures of like men and like basketball stuff all on my wall. But right direct center was always a picture of Drew Barrymore. Still, I think it's like the list. I think it's just like her cadence, something about her. Even if she's annoying, I just like, I'm still like, I love you. So if you're Drew Barrymore's age, you're my age. Um, and I'm, I'm a, 
guessing that Poison Ivy might have had an effect on you. Was that the name of that movie oh. she was in where it was like her first real bad girl movie? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm like a I'm like a sucker for like the rom-com like mm. ever after I just watched the other day. <laughs> like her as Cinderella. I don't know. It's so silly. Did you ever see her with Keanu Reeves in Babes in Toyland? The TV version of it? I haven't seen that's, that either. That's your homework because it's fucking amazing. It's the weirdest fucking movie and both of them are babies. Anyway, right. <laughs> that's my recommendation. Yeah, deep cut. It's yeah. Like a, like. <laughs> Do you remember your first mode of masturbation? <laughs> I, I love that you just laugh for a while after each question yeah sorry i'm like i'm full full giggles which is like really bad you can always decline <laughs> no i i know this is a funny story so i remember it like really well i was at my uncle's house for the summer and had discovered a uh back massager mm. which you know it was a huge like Hitachi wand basically is what it was, but it was like in like their living room. Like Mm -hmm. it was just there and I didn't have cable where I grew up and they did. And so like MTV, this was like when MTV was like, you know, actually had music videos. Right. Back in the day. um, Yeah. Back in the day. (laughs) Um, And so I remember watching rock the cradle of love by Billy Idol. Mm -hmm. And the video was just like so hot. And I just like was like full discovery at that point. I must've been like maybe 12, Mm. 13, but I was just like, what is this? Why is it so hot? Why is this like, woman like crawling on the ground and like you know in a full white t-shirt like mm-hmm. and then it was like Billy Idol in the background and it, this girl comes in and like opens the door and she's like I'm taking over and this guy's like I don't know what to do you know and she's super hot and like she like spills wine on her shirt and she has to take off oops. her clothes <laughs> no, it was just an like, old thing so I think it was like all of it together and every time like it come it'll come on it's probably now it's like a you know on a muzak in an elevator it's so old (laughs) but it's like i still have a fond memory of that and then the hitachi one came in and then it was over yeah i must have watched that video so many times that summer (laughs) yeah you're like when's it gonna come on again come on again yeah it's not like (laughs) i had like you know a re-recording of it (laughs) that sounds great you got any fuck yes right now anything giving you a fuck yeah um, <laughs> a lot of fuck no's right now. Oh, um, it's okay if you got fuck no's. We, we welcome those as well. First of all, I'm living for Trace Lissette dragging Dave Chappelle <sighs> on TikTok. It's like my favorite thing ever. She's definitely my big fuck yeah, because I'm, you know, I think sometimes being in this world of like, being trans, there's this like sensitivity, like, oh, don't, you know, Mm -hmm. don't say those things and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, and it hurts us as it's harmful. But we have to like, it's like this fighting back. It's like, I'm fucking tired of it. Mm -hmm. And we're just gonna push back. Yeah. And like, Trace said doing that. That's like my big fuck. Yeah, these I can watch that over and over and over again. Watch her just drag him. I'm I'm into the fuck. Yeah, is like, yeah, let's let's fight back against that. Yeah. And let's let's like live in our joy too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that trans joy, queer joy, you know, living in your space of like, yeah, I'm or you know, whatever space you're in. And I'm learning that for myself too, is like 
yeah, I don't have to be ashamed of this. Like you're, you're the ones who are mm-hmm. ashamed of me and I'm internalizing that and I don't have to be that way. Yeah. Like I can stand in my truth and, and be joyful. And that's like a huge act of resistance. Yeah. And call the bullies out, you know, it's like, yeah, stop, <laughs> so, stop, let people do it. You work in a, a lot of clinical settings where the DSM is still very prevalent. Mm. Speaking of bullies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of bullshit. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so uh, I looked it up and the DSM-5 defines a discongruence between one's experience and expression of their gender and their assigned gender as gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. I think I know your response to this, but I'm curious, is this a helpful definition or designation for the folks that you work with? Listen, it's not helpful for anyone, really. I mean, if you actually like read into the DSM around gender dysphoria, we're really getting into very specific, I mean, it's like antiquated specific gender mm-hmm. roles, like especially with adolescents and kids. Oh, do you play with toys of the opposite genders? Like, wait, what? Like, right. have we not gotten past this? Like, are you kidding me? Like, and allowing young people, like anyone to allow gender play and stepping into whatever they want to feel and what feels good to them. You know, I think in so many ways, we pathologize these pieces, right? I mean, it wasn't until the DSM-5 that actually homosexuality was taken mm-hmm. out completely. It has been there. I mean, it said like 1972, it was taken out. No, it was it was just redefined in a different mm-hmm. way. Like what? <laughs> and so like, I think that the DSM has pathologized gender in such a way that's like, oh, I have to be this way. Even for trans people, like, oh, I have yeah. to be this certain way mm-hmm. in order to be trans or, and the feelings of like not being trans enough or like, mm-hmm. oh, I, you know, I feel this way, you know, about my gender journey. Like I want these things to change and shift. Maybe I want hormones. Maybe I want surgery. Maybe I don't want hormones and I want surgery. You know, it's like all the body autonomy gets taken out mm-hmm. when we pathologize these things. And everyone is so scared, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what the DSM is for is for insurance companies. Right. That's what it is for. I had a a mentor who said, if you had trauma, the DSM would be a pamphlet, right? Like if you were to like talk about trauma in someone's life, like because all of these things, right, really have to do with how we attach to others, how we connect with people, how we've been traumatized as young people or, you know, in in our lives. And then it gets pathologized into like a, a diagnosis, And I get it. Like, I mean, I think it's helpful for some people to have a diagnosis to kind of say, oh, this is why I'm feeling this way. Right. Mm -hmm. It's much like sexuality and gender. It's like, you know, we have all these words for it and it's always ever developing. This helps me to relate and it helps and gives words to what I'm feeling. But at the same time, like, unfortunately, a lot what I see, especially with like young people today is that it becomes who they are and it defines them Mm -hmm. and then they feel like they can't get out of it. It seems like a lot of what's in the DSM is pathologizing nonconformity 
Yes. I mean, there's also, of course, like mental health things, but there's a lot that's been in there that has been removed over the years or that's still in there, like you're saying, that is just people that are not conforming with the oppressive mm-hmm. structures. Right. You know, and a lot of the mental health issues are natural, normal reactions to being in an oppressive structure like capitalism, white supremacy and patriarchy and all these things that it's like, so it's like, yeah, you, are you playing with the right toys? What the fuck? Like, it's so bizarre, but it comes out of all of this oppression of like, we need to know, you know, you need to fit into these slots. And if you don't, then we have a term for you, you know? So it's hopeful for those of us who have to like give a diagnosis in order for someone Mm -hmm. to get their, their needs met, you know? Mm -hmm. That's the unfortunate reality of it. The thing is, is that when I think about dysphoria, and this is something that I've been like consistently thinking about over the the years um, of the work that I do, of my own transition, the transition of my friends, and the talk about dysphoria that went from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria, is that if I think about my gender as a trans man, like... I'm actually not dysphoric around that. Mm. Like I don't have dysphoria around my gender. Mm-hmm. Everyone else has dysphoria exactly. around my gender. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so what gender dysphoria for me is, is I'm internalizing that anxiety, that, that, that stuff. And then, then I feel it. So it's like actually internalized. And we talk about internalized transphobia, but I think it's like internalized gender dysphoria yeah. where we, and it does really state that it's like, all these outside stressors, right? Like I can't find a job. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about like what you're going to think about my shoe size, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like, or how you see me or how you gender me on the phone, right? And those dysphoric feelings get, get internalized. And therefore then, then that turns to like self-hatred, mm-hmm. stress, anxiety, depression. So like when I'm talking to a client or even when I'm talking to myself is like, like, I'm actually really okay here, mm-hmm. you know, like, really, like, I'm, I'm better than I ever have been, mm-hmm. you know, 10 years ago, I wanted to kill myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and like, and today I'm like, so good in this space. Yeah, do I do I, you know, struggle in rooms of men and and being a gay man and like stepping into that space. But it's the messages mm-hmm. that I internalized over the years that tell me I'm not good enough, right? And like, that's where the dysphoria comes in. And it's really the culture at large that isn't showing up, that isn't good enough. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the source of the issue. Yeah. So when people say, oh, like, let's talk about transgender issues. And I'm like, how about let's talk about cisgender issues? Because mm-hmm. I'm not actually, I don't have the issues, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, it's not, it's your issue with me. That's right. Well, and when you think about the clinical support existing because when I think of the term gender dysphoria it feels really rooted in a binary Mm -hmm. and it's just like it's going to continue to feel more and more antiquated and less Mm -hmm. accessible to people because that's just not where we're at as a culture anymore this there's an expansiveness that's entering into the zeitgeist, right? That is, I think, becoming more pervasive. I mean, at least I should say in the circles that we exist in, (laughs) I know, like in the world at large, but like, certainly that's the direction that we're headed. So, I mean, obviously we're not going to change 
the way that clinicians approach this in this conversation. But I am curious because I know that there are some more helpful ways that we can be framing this and talking about this. So like, what do you think is the alternative or the more supportive way to engage around the fact that gender is expansive? Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I want to challenge this idea too, before that, just like, is that culturally, I mean, through time, gender expansiveness has always been part of mm-hmm. culture, right? Like it's always mm-hmm. been here. I think like the more we got into kind of monotheism, the more we got mm-hmm. into, you know, like patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Like all of these things, like the more we got into these like specific gendered spaces, that's where, like, I think we're coming out of that. I think it's just kind of this, like, ebb and flow of the world. And culturally, like, we've been kind of wiped out of historical books and all of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, luckily, we have people who are around who continue to, like, show up and continue to say, like, no, we have a history here. We've always been here from the beginning mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. When people feel threatened, then they start to put laws in and saying, like, you can't be this way and Mm -hmm. we're not going to let you be this way. We've always been this way. The laws aren't going to stop people from being trans, you know, like just, unfortunately it's just going to make it more difficult and harm more trans people. Right. right? So I just want to say that, but also to your question, how do we expand our, either our vocabulary or our thought processes around gender is that, When I work with clinicians, when I do like talks and stuff, I'm really about like, here are the definitions of gender, right? Like, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay. But to understand someone's individual experience, we have to understand our own. And for a lot of, we'll just say like cis, straight, white people, they don't, you know, with people with privilege, you don't really have to like understand that Mm -hmm. because it just is. So, in the work that I do, I really try to turn the scope inward, like, right, turn it around, stop focusing on your client, let's focus on ourselves for a little bit, and understand our own gender, right? You know, understand our own sexuality, what that means for me, how I was raised, what messages I received, you know, those kinds of things are really important, in order to help me be more expansive in the work that I do with other people or with and not even work with, but it, you know, even the experience of my coworkers or my friends or people around me, if I'm not unwilling to do the work around it mm-hmm. and open myself up to the complicated, beautiful experience that gender and sexuality have in my life, then I'm closed off to everyone else's idea. Then I think, well, this is, this is the way it's always been, mm-hmm. right? This is how it is. And this is the way it's always been. And people like that because it feels safe. Mm-hmm. People stay in that because it feels comfortable and safe. But what happens is when we're confronted with it, when we're confronted with questions, then we're forced to do the work. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a different experience with your gender and your sexuality and what that has meant to you over time and experience, you know. Um, but if we're not willing to like look at it ourselves, then we're doing a disservice to the people around us. And I think that's how we open up the conversation to yeah. people saying like, this is a journey that we're on. Right? Yeah. yeah. If there's no end to it. There's no specific path to it. There's no right way to do it. As long as you're not harming yourself or others, that's the one I care about. I think that we just need to open up our 
our minds to other possibilities. Mm -hmm. There's a book, Alex Ian Toffee, who they wrote a great book called Gender Trauma. They're non-binary therapists out of Minneapolis. Shout out to them. Gender trauma is this idea that these cages that we put ourselves in as a man, as a woman, Mm -hmm. even as a trans person, as a non-binary person, like these these cages we put ourselves in and we're just, it just, it, it's traumatic for everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was talking to someone the other day and I said, there's a reason why like affluent cis white men, uh, straight men are at, you know, really high risk to suicide because there is this expectation of what that means mm-hmm. to be that person. We all are fighting these expectations. Mm-hmm. When I talk to a young trans person who's like, I'm not trans enough. Or I'm not, you know, I'm not part of this community or I'm not man enough. Or I I sit in a a group of, I had a group of young, like teenage boys, cis and trans, like in like a horseshoe. And one cis boy who was like captain of the football team, like had everything was like, I don't feel like I'm man enough Mm -hmm. to other side of a trans boy who's feeling the same fucking way. (laughs) Like... Mm -hmm. There's something going on here, right? right? Yeah. There's there's something that is beyond us that's going on here that that we need to start like looking at. So mm-hmm. for them, but the, for them to be in the same room and hearing that from each other is a yeah. big deal. That's yeah. Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. and you mentioned queer joy, trans joy, like that's that is the other piece of this, right? That sometimes I think when we stay in this clinical or binary conversation around gender that at least I'll speak for myself on the other side of the exploration of yourself in general for me it definitely did start with gender exploration sexuality exploration all of that there can be this space of just really immense joy in knowing yourself and feeling grounded in who you are. For me, it helps me to navigate the fucked up world that we're in, knowing myself better. Yeah. And I'm Mm -hmm. so curious if you're open to sharing a little bit of your journey, because I feel like you exist now in this kind of um, (laughs) euphoric, super awesome, you know, like gay leather cowboy era. (laughs) Yeah. And I knew you didn't like pop out of the womb there, right? So, (laughs) (laughs) well, it's kind of funny. So, when when I read that question and and I kind of laughed because, I I always laugh, but I think <laughs> when I go back and I talk about like the coming in process, like, and that's mm-hmm. from like mm-hmm. other therapists who do this work, who, who have taught me, right. About like this idea of like, we come in before we come out. Mm-hmm. Can you define that? Yeah. So we come into ourselves, right. We okay. come in and we go, Oh, I think I'm gay or I think oh, I'm okay. Gay. And I, and, and so a lot of times it's like, I can come in at, five years old, Mm -hmm. I don't come out until Mm. I'm 20. Mm. And that's like 15 years of like holding this, Mm. you know, of, of who I, who I am or like kind of unpacking that whole thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I'll see a a person who comes out at 70 
but mm-hmm. came into themselves at 10, yeah. you know, and that's like 60 years of mm-hmm. not being able to like share that part of you. And that doesn't mean you didn't have joy or anything like right. that, but to, to unpack all of that is really important. So I always go back to my five-year-old self. Hmm. <laughs> I went by the name Boy Roger. It was the eighties. <laughs> I have it. That's part of the tattoo on my stuff, like that I shared. It's like has a tattoo, like a belly rocker tattoo. It says Boy Roger because I give a lot of credit to him because he was so pure mm-hmm. in himself and he knew himself so well. Mm-hmm. He just loved Hot Wheels, He Man. Mm-hmm. Um, did any kind of cabbage patch kid would end up cutting the hair and putting it at the bottom of the toy chest mm-hmm. had a collection of hats wore cowboy hats and like overalls put his t-shirt in his back pocket like his cousins you know mm-hmm. like he knew himself right and then it wasn't until I went to kindergarten that's where gender started for me I ended up in the principal's office all the time because I was lining up with the boys. Mm. I was like, I'm a boy. I line up with boys. And they were like, no, you have to go in the girls' line. But I'm like, I'm not a girl. You know, like. <laughs> How were your parents handling this? My mom said, you can be a boy at home, but you have to be a girl mm. at school. Mm. And talking to my mom, you know, she could really say like, this is, uh, this is like where your sadness started. Mm. I felt like a shift in you around five years old, there was a change in you. So stuffed him away, mm-hmm. you know, in love with all of my best friends. And I was like dating boys. And then like, I had my first experience with a woman. And I was like, okay, yeah, like this could work. Like, you know, I feel better in this space, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, didn't really like associate with the word lesbian. But I was like, I like being part of the LGBT community. I knew trans women existed. I didn't really know trans men existed. I, mm-hmm. I saw books, like I saw a book and I was like, oh, you know, I met the first two trans guys I'd ever met in my life. And I was like, I'm not that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was almost like when I came out as like, like gay, I was like, I'm not mm-hmm. the PE teacher. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. she's not gay, you know, it was just very much like this, like, that's not me. Cause people were like, Cause then I like would do drag. I was like a drag King and, and um, realized that I, I really loved having facial hair. I really loved doing drag as George Michael. Like I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I was just, mm-hmm. this was my thing and not wanting to take it off at night. Mm-hmm. And, and what was happening is that my using was increasing, mm-hmm. fell into like a really like dark space of like alcoholism, drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that had to do with like just hiding myself mm-hmm would ask me, oh, when are you going to transition? And I was like, I'm not, why can't there be butch women? Anymore? You know, like mm-hmm. I had that whole thing, you know, but would really be alone at night thinking like, mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. oh no. Right. And then I got sober. I moved to Montana. Like this is <laughs> carrying on my little cowboy story. I moved to Montana <laughs> and uh, got sober with a bunch of rodeo cowboys. <laughs> You just like were happened to find some rodeo cowboys. Well, it, well, in, in are Montana, they everywhere? Yeah, they're everywhere. It's weird. Um, yeah, I moved to Montana with my best friend who was sober, and I helped her open a restaurant. And I lived with a rodeo cowboy, like literal rodeo cowboy, for two years. Like he was like my best friend. You know, like it was just it was the life. And amazing. I, I didn't come out till I was like five years sober as mm. trans. And when my depression got really bad and 
And at six months sober, I called those trans guys. Mm. I said, can you just tell me like your story about coming out? Mm. I was like, oh God. I was like, that's me. You know what I mean? Like I just, it felt like me. And I was like, there's no way. Cause I was so afraid to lose people mm. in my life, mm. you know? And I think we get these messages that being trans is bad. Yeah, we do. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you got it at age five. I think the pain got worse. And I think I, you know, recovery, yeah. like being sober really was the reason probably why I didn't, you know, unalive myself. I'm very grateful for that. And then I went to therapy, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I shared it for the first time. And I said, you know, the therapist at the time mm-hmm. was like, so what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I'm trans. She's like, okay. <laughs> you know, like, great. What do we want to do about that? You mm-hmm. know, and that the first time I just like said it out loud and, mm-hmm. and that whole process of like, well, maybe I'm non-binary because, you know, and, and I went by they, them pronouns for a while. Cause I was very much like in my journey, I was like, I'm not going to go by he, him until I have a beard or, you know, like I, <laughs> I held on to my testosterone for a year cause I was afraid to lose my hair. You know, it's like, well, whatever, what are you going to do? It just traveled downward. <laughs> <laughs> but in all of these steps, I always have come up against this wall of like messaging that like, yeah. That this is a bad thing, like you're not going to survive or you're not going to be seen or all these things. And so when I talk about like queer joy, when I talk about like, I understand the deep sadness that comes with it. But mm-hmm. I also understand this idea that now that I'm in a place where I feel the best that I ever felt mm-hmm. in my sexuality and my gender in my identities, I can see from far away or I can hear it in people's voices when you go, when people like, cause I, I have the privilege of walking around. I, I, I hate being seen just as like a white guy walking around, but it's fine. I feel safe. I'm, I'm in a safe place mm-hmm. that way. So it's a privilege. But I think when people find out that I'm trans or like I share that information with them, there's this like sound, mm-hmm. there's this like, Oh and I hear it from parents too. And it's like, what if it's not a bad thing to be trans? Like, right. What if it just is a really cool thing and it's an exciting thing? And, and yes, the, you know, and I, I get the intention, right? The intention is like, it's a hard life. Yeah. But that mm-hmm. kind of speaks to something you were saying earlier about the erasure, right? Like we don't right. see, it's been taken out of the narrative mm-hmm. of our cultures that there is this rich history of gender diversity. So people's main perception of it is that like life can only be hard for you. I mean, I remember my first partner was a very butch person and my mom was like, I Mm. think I'm okay with you being gay, but I'm not okay with you being visibly like the fact that I had a partner that signaled that I was gay was really scary to her because she's like, you are now at risk. And so it's like this tension where we almost don't realize the deeply ingrained transphobia and homophobia that we have. And when it comes to our kids, it's like, no, we're just being protective. And it's like, gosh, I mean, we're all at risk in so many ways in society, like everybody is, but we don't have this, this rich history of, um, yeah. Yeah seeing trans and queer people thriving. And so it's like the only story that's out there is that, you know, I mean, it's why 
what you were saying earlier, Chase, they said, calling out like, oh, how nice to see a trans woman who's resourced. We do. And can like tear someone down on social media. Like we need more of that, right? Having the upper hand. I think that there's this other layer to it also of the like, there's the danger part. But I've experienced only in the past couple years, I've like, I feel like I've blossomed in my appreciation for trans people. And it's partly because of my interactions with people, but it's also like um, just the visibility that there is now and the incorporation into the culture. I have realized that I had I was I had stigma in me that I didn't even realize I'm like gay, 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 you know, like just loving all the stuff, love drag, love trans people, all of it. But there is still something in there, almost like something like got was a little stuck in my throat. And then over mm-hmm. the past couple of years, like it's coughed out and I'm just like, oh, gorgeous. I get it. You know, like on this other level where I felt like I shed a layer of like toxic culture off of me that comes from just it's almost like a visual like disconnect, I think, that can happen with people if it's not integrated into your life. You know, right. but that integration, then all of a sudden you can see the beauty in this way because we've been told that it's just like one of the worst things you could do and it's just so fucking untrue it's so powerful and wonderful and it just makes me mad (laughs) the culture at large but that it's changing that I felt it change in my body felt really good yeah and I've seen that happen I've it's been a cool experience so like it's interesting so my last relationship we looked I mean we were both like she went through my transition with me so we Mm -hmm. were like observational like a lesbian couple and then we kind of morphed into this like heterosexual couple Mm -hmm. which was not good for either of us (laughs) because like we were (laughs) we're both very queer we worked Mm -hmm. in the queer community for 20 years you know we walked into this party one time and this little 24 year old this is my resentment this little 24 year old (laughs) was like I think you're in the wrong place I was like listen honey like (laughs) we are your elders and we helped you create a space like this we are not straight like you know but it was like I had to like come out it was like this weird it's just so fucked up right it was like oh now I have to come out as like queer like Mm -hmm. what (laughs) that relationship has ended but now like kind of being in a relationship with a cisgender man I mean I love being gay like I'm very into it like it's my like I'm like yes this is who I am like this is like Mm -hmm. this who I am right now who knows you know five years from now but like Mm -hmm. this feels right to me and at the right specific time and You know, my boyfriend was a drag queen back in the day and is now like a leather guy. And I was in the leather community 20 plus years ago, but it was very different back then. And like kind of coming back into my own in that space, but being Mm -hmm. able to watch him shed some of this stuff around, like he's like Mr. Ally, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he (laughs) sometimes a little too much. I'm like, just write it in, (laughs) you know, the shifting of like going into like even the leather community. Mm -hmm was has like such a history of masculinity mm-hmm. and shifting the conversation there for and I asked him I said you know you know would you be kind of fighting this fight that you're doing right now if you weren't with me and he was really honest and he was like I don't I don't really know I don't think it was like a it didn't come to the forefront of my mind right, right? yeah so that is one thing too like you had just said is that mm-hmm knowing people, meeting people, having trans people in your space and in your life, like will change you. Mm -hmm. Even as like 
if you're a cis queer person, right? If you, you know, like, like if you don't have any trans people in your life, how are you going to, that's where we get perfs. Mm-hmm. We don't have mm-hmm. enough conversation. And mm-hmm. I've had to like have really explicit conversations with gay cis guys in my life around like their pejorative use of vaginas and like freaking out about them and all this stuff. And I'm like, what? Like, come on. Like, that's so, I'm so bored mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, so that's such a yawn for me, you know? <laughs> what do you consider your sexuality, your sexual attractions? And did it shift as you transitioned? Or was it kind of always pan or fluid or bi? Yeah, that's like, that's the big question, especially <laughs> when I had to like, come out to my family again, and be like, I'm gay now. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, like, you know, like, what else is gonna, you know, happen? Like, I don't know. I'm just full of surprises. I've always been attracted to men. Like, I've always had experiences with men. I love women. Mm-hmm. I'm sexually gay. I'm bi-romantic. Mm. I didn't want to sleep with men as identified as female. Mm-hmm. It's a different dynamic. This very different dynamic. So then as I transitioned, I, I came out as uh, as bi but I was like, also like, do I want to sleep with men or do I want to be them? You know, mm-hmm. it was just like, it was like very confusing. And then kind mm-hmm. of when, you know, as I started to explore my sexuality and felt myself veering in that, in this space where like, this is what turns me on. This is who turns me on. This is where I want to be. It was always kind of in leather. It was always in men. It was always in like, hair it was always in like all of these but then I you know again I got those messages being like they're not gonna no man is gonna find that me hot you know mm. like no man is gonna find like want to have sex with me because I'm trans you know and then come to find out like actually you know guys are are into this so <laughs> which is not me I'm I'm into it and that's the funny thing, too, is that we hear a lot like, well, maybe it's like the testosterone. Like there's like a lot of discord and conversation or with trans men being like, oh, all trans men are going to be gay eventually because of this, that or the other. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. Um, <laughs> you know, like I sat at a table like of eight trans guys the other mm-hmm. night. Six of them were straight, you know, four, you know, two were bi, you know, it's like yeah. we're, we're dynamic in our and diverse in our sexualities. It's just like testosterone helped me to be more myself and be Mm -hmm. more like settled in who who I am both sexually and in my gender that's what happened and I think that's what happened for a lot of trans guys and trans women too yeah like you said the dynamic's different the dynamic is so different well and I think actually we all of our sexuality evolves and Mm -hmm. changes Mm -hmm. but when you're not someone who's actively looking at those Mm -hmm. like investigating considering is this what I'm still interested in then it 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 appears as if your sexuality your relationship to your gender your relationship to other people stays static through your life yeah but you know I mean we saw the departure of so many women from their straight het relationships mm-hmm. right during the pandemics. It was just like, yeah. oh my God, now that I'm like in the house <laughs> with this person all the time, I realize this is not the kind of person I want to be in a relationship with. But so I I think it goes back to some of the things you were saying earlier on that when you stay in conversation and in investigation about yourself. Mm-hmm 
what you find is that you fucking change. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, and you know, so many, the pandemic that. did that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the pandemic was definitely one of those things where people had to sit with themselves mm-hmm. or sit with their partner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? Culturally, we're just so distracted always. Mm-hmm. And, and so we ha- I had a lot of trans people come out, like a mm-hmm. lot of, I've had people who, you know, along their gender journey have decided to stop their testosterone, who've decided that they, you know, they're, they're women. And it's like, okay, great. Like, mm-hmm. is, are you happy? Like, that's mm-hmm. all that makes, that's all that makes sense, you know, for me, like, and, and don't like, you know, I, I don't like the word detransition because I don't think you actually go back to who you were. Right. I think you're on your gender journey to like retransition to whatever the next iteration mm-hmm. of you is again as long as you're happy and joyous and free like great there's a lot of people who are if we start to listen to people who like have like shifted and their identities over the time and who are like yeah like I've shifted and you know everyone should get this chance mm-hmm. and they're better for it right we're better for exploring these things about ourselves yeah 100%. ultimately I hope I'm not the same guy I am five years from now that I am today that I was five years ago right, right? like Hopefully I'm a better person because I learn better things, you know? Yeah. And I learn more about myself. Growth mindset. (laughs) (laughs) What are the elements today in your life that really um, make your joy around your gender and your queerness accessible to you? That's a good question. Um, That's like a therapeutic question. Um, (laughs) having people around me that love me in spite of when I'm like not in the best space of loving myself. Right. right? And I can't love myself or when I can't see myself and, and when I, or when I'm seeing something that is not true in the mirror, I have people around me to reflect mm-hmm. who I am and I trust and, and listen to them. I think that is like first and foremost that, that brings me into a space of like, and it may not always be like the feeling good space, but it's like, okay, yes, I'm here, right? Allowing people to love me um, and, and, and feel that love um, is really important because I think that I push so many people away in my, in my using, but in also in my, like, just in my life because I was so afraid for people to see me. Mm-hmm. So allowing people to see me for, for the good and the bad, you know, the yeah. good and the, you know, and, mm-hmm the challenging, not the bad, the challenging. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking my truth is really important, right? Like people don't always get it. Like people don't always have to get it. Um, My lifestyle or my choices or being in the leather community or being gay or any of that is like, this is just who I am. And I'm going to live in my joy rather than live for you anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) like, I also think that comes with age, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I'm like in my mid forties, I'm like, I don't give a fuck anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm like, and, and it, I think, and it's funny because I heard people say that, like, you know, they say, you know, you reach a certain age and all of a sudden you start not giving a fuck. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. there's no way. Here we are. Here we are. (laughs) That's who I am. Yep. Same. Well, I, um, sorry, I'm just reaching for my little um, affirmation deck because we do like to leave you with something nice for spending this time with us yes okay 
Not loving yourself is total bullshit. There we go. I think you taught us that today. <laughs> ah, I'm going to, I'm going to tattoo that on me. I'll yeah. send it to you. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is there anything, ways that you want people to find you or anything you want to plug? You can find me on my website, bgcbridge.com. If you have any questions or need any training or anything like that, or just want to have a conversation about a loved one and how to support them, mm-hmm. I'm always open to helping and, and sharing my knowledge and also like my network of like, if you need a therapist or need help in any state, I have a, a wide net that I'll try to help people get connected to the right resources. Oh, that's a great offering. Thank you for today. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you. Robin, what did you think of that interview? I I mean, I had a great time. You know, I love a leather cowboy. And (laughs) (laughs) but you know, what really struck me that's sticking with me is the um, the DSM stuff. I've been thinking about this lately, like, like the idea that gender dysphoria is the problem of the person who's experiencing the dysphoria mm. and the idea that it's actually that the culture has an oppressive structure mm-hmm. that hardly anyone fits directly into and that some of us really don't fit into at all and that that gets pathologized. Yeah. It reminds me of like women being put into mental institutions, how like these, mm-hmm. you know, in the early uh, 1900s, it's like, or like forever, but it's like this, this way of weaponizing mental health as a way to be able to oppress people that are stepping out of line. Mm. It, it can be used in that way, or just in this way of like, this way that we take on the thoughts of our bullies, you know? Oh, yeah. Wow. You know? okay. There's a lot there. And that's what I feel like the gender dysphoria is. It's actually an issue with the culture at large, bullying this one individual saying like you cannot step out of the bounds hardly at all you know Mm -hmm. and that's your problem you have a problem with the gender we gave you you didn't Mm -hmm. even get to decide about it we made some big assumptions because we like to control people based on what they look like because that's easier I guess I don't know yeah, it would be interesting to get into a deep dive. I mean, Beck touched on this very lightly about, you know, that there was a time and a place, like that it has really served the patriarchy mm-hmm. and religion and these gender roles are a bit ahistorical, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that we think of our current cultural context as being truth. Right. But it's not. Yeah. And so it would be cool to get a historian on oh, yeah. to talk more in depth because I don't think I, I you know, I, I know grumblings of the history and I know in Native cultures, especially there's m- more celebration in India. There's more celebration right. of gender expansiveness, but I wasn't raised with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think many of us were. And it kind of goes back also to the conversation we were having with Eli, the gender doula, mm-hmm. about, you know, when there's such a erasure of history, yeah. it's hard to pull from the strength of your queer and trans ancestors. Mm-hmm. Like, no, there have been these moral panics throughout history and we've made it through Mm -hmm. 
and we've thrived by banding together and supporting each other. And, um, but yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. This idea of like the institutions are bullying you into Mm -hmm. submission in some ways. Yeah. And it's completely in my mind tied to the patriarchy and feminism because it's like, what's the issue then? What's the issue with someone with a penis wearing a dress? And what's the issue with someone with a vulva, you know, growing a beard or whatever? What's the issue with wanting that to be different? It's because it it takes women, I think, out of that being hyper-controlled. Like if a woman can become a man, you know, I think the patriarchy's fucked. So I see it intrinsically tied to the feminist movement. Like this is part, I think, of gay liberation, but also women's liberation and um, breaking down the patriarchal structures that we do visibly every day, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the feminist movement has long cut a lot of people out of the inner circle, you know, women of color, trans people, queer people, because it's like, oh, no, we can only bite off so much, you know, and it's like, if you take this idea of expansiveness and realize like we've got to all come under, like there's actually more of us Mm -hmm. (laughs) who don't necessarily subscribe to or benefit from the power structure staying as it is. Yeah. There's very few, I think that truly benefit from it. And that's by design, but there's a lot of people that that have their identities and their worth tied to it. Yeah. Eventually, there's gonna be so many people brought into this like fold of authenticity that not that many people, I don't think, are gonna eventually identify as straight <laughs> or identify as like, you know, purely one or the, I don't know. I think it's gonna get real loosey-goosey. By the time our kids are our age, like, I think it's gonna be wild. I can't wait. I hope, I hope if we keep going in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you bring up our kids because I've been sort of trying to figure out how to talk about this on the podcast. And I realized when you came and recorded with us last week and Andrea mentioned to you or used they, them pronouns Mm -hmm. in reference to Ruby, you were like, wait, is Ruby using they, them pronouns now. And I realized like, oh my God, I haven't even said it to Robin. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. I've got to, I've got to really like woman up on this issue. <laughs> <laughs> Mom up, ally up. Um, so, you know, Ruby for a long time now has been saying that they don't necessarily feel like a girl. And mm-hmm. not in any sort of explicit way of like, I feel like a boy or I feel non-binary. Like Ruby's not using that language. Mm-hmm. Ruby's just like, I'm Ruby. Mm-hmm. I feel like Ruby. I'd rather be referred to as your kid, mm. just your kid. And um, when Ruby started basketball, they expressed interest in like the, in the basketball space to be introduced with they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. So they've been playing with they, them pronouns for a while now. I anticipate it's going to continue to change and shift mm-hmm. and um, evolve and all of the things. Um, but it's, uh, how do I feel about it? Gosh, I'm realizing like, do I have any feelings about it? I do. I feel First and foremost, like 
so fucking proud of Ruby, right? Just say, this is how I feel not to be trying to, um, you know, clearly Ruby doesn't have any decisions made in their mind. It's just like, Hey, I, I feel unique and different than some people that I know. Mm -hmm. I want that to be honored. Yeah. How fucking cool. No, and I like how you're saying that they are trying on different, they're trying on the pronouns and that it might change and to give freedom to explore what feels right to them rather than, you know, like what Beck was saying about how you end up coming in and then coming out to be Mm -hmm. able to come in openly to be able to explore openly rather than having it only be internal, I think is a huge thing to be able to do, you know, to have that kind of trust with your parents. What I appreciate so much about these conversations that we have here, the community that I've been integrated in for a long time, the times that we're in, the conversations that are happening more broadly is that I feel, and I think everyone around Ruby feels pretty well equipped Mm -hmm. to support Ruby on this. Mm -hmm. Like it's not heavy handed. Like I don't think any of us are like sweating anything. Yeah. Right. Like I don't know if Ruby's trans. I don't know if Ruby's non-binary and it actually doesn't fucking matter. Like Ruby's just finding ways to express their individuality. Right. Like this is the time where you start learning about who you are and trying on different styles and doing all these different things. And I just think of this as being part of that whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, you know, we're going to support Ruby through this. And in certain spaces, Ruby wants to be recognized in a non-gendered way. Mm -hmm. And does that mean that you know, five years from now, 20 years, like it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It means like today we're going to show up and we're going to support Ruby and this is the best way we can do that. Yeah. Less intensity and judgment about the whole thing. Yeah. I have a really, like I had a moment of like feminist parent fucking euphoria last Ooh. week okay. <laughs> that's wait. similar this is like similar you should have done the fuck yeah today <laughs> I know I was like if it was mine today I would have done it but I get to do it here because um so Mars is eight as well he's about to turn eight he's gonna have his birthday soon and he is a boy's boy He's like broed out, like he loves and he identifies as a boy and he loves all of the boy stuff. There's been times where like he's kind of poo-pooed girl stuff before, like we'll be at Target and he's like, I don't need to go down that pink aisle. And I'll be like, you know, they're just because it's girl stuff. Don't like push things away just because it's not traditionally part of your identity. There might be cool stuff there. If there's not, that's fine. But that's about as far as I'll go, like. With the way they relate to me, if I try to push something towards them, they will push it back, you Mm -hmm. know? So I don't want anybody to get an idea that I was trying to push this at all. And in fact, my reactions on the outside were very neutral. Inside, I was screaming for joy, okay? (laughs) Right now, Mars and I and Luca, we're all into watching The Mandalorian, you know, Baby Yoda and all this stuff. 
And what happens with Mars is he's obsessed with Star Wars, but he loves villains. And so he'll always identify with a certain villain, Darth Vader, Darth Maul, again, you know, Kylo Ren. And he has to get the toy. And then we're playing, role playing with the toy. And then he has to get the outfit. And then he makes me dress up as a stormtrooper. And we're like (laughs) fighting and all this stuff. But he really like when he likes a character, he literally wants to embody the character and role play as the character. So when we started watching The Mandalorian, I was like, Mando's next, you know, and it wasn't Mando, though. The one that he got into was Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan Crease. You have to give me context because I don't live in this world at all. So Bo-Katan Kreese is basically the queen of the Mandalorians, but she was like, you know, deposed and now she's like trying to get back on top. But... um, (laughs) Mars kept talking about her and just being like, we'd be watching Mandalorian and he would say things to me. He loves cursing. Okay. But he'd be like, Bo-Katan doesn't take any shit. And I'd be like, no, she doesn't. Bo-Katan doesn't take any shit. And so then we started playing him and I, where he would have me be Mando and he's Bo-Katan with little Legos. And he was like in the tub and he kept making me, because he tells me what to do, right? So uh-huh. he kept making Mando fall into the water and Bo-Katan had to save him over and over again because Bo- Mando was just doing dumb shit and Bo-Katan's just trying to get shit done. Oh my gosh, I love it. Dude, so now we were, he was like, I want to, my birthday's coming up, I want to get a Lego Bo-Katan ship. And that led us down a rabbit hole until finally he saw the helmet of Bo-Katan. He saw the outfit, including like the metal breastplate. Uh-huh. You know, and he saw and I was like, Bo-Katan's one of the Mandalorians that will take her helmet off. And under that helmet, she's got this like, you really know, cute red hair. She's got this red haired Bob hair. with a headband. Oh, my God. He's going to look so cute. He wants the costume. Dude. So he wants the costume hardcore. And I was like, well, Mars, what um, what do you think about when you take your helmet off? Do you want like a wig and the headband and stuff? And he was like, OK, first of all, that's not a headband. Like that does a lot of computer stuff. And I was like, OK, well, whatever her cyborg shit is. And he thought about it and he was like, yeah, I do want the right wig. And I was like, all right. Christmas wish granted. So, but with him, what I think is so interesting, like I have chills right now. What's so interesting is that I don't think it's about gender. I think that he is able as a young boy to see a powerful woman that doesn't take any fucking shit that saves Mando multiple times. And he's like, I want to be cool and powerful like her. I want to look like her and I want to act like her because she's fucking awesome. And I just have chills thinking about it's like, I was screaming with joy inside when he told me this. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know, I know where to get you a coppery red bob. (laughs) I might have one. So (laughs) good. Yeah. Yeah. It makes my heart melt around just like maybe because they are bros, my kids, you know, and I'm just like, is any of my feminism running off, rubbing off on them? But I think it's like a profound thing. A little boy just wanting to be a badass like this woman is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the cosplay is going to be so fun with him because <laughs> it is, a, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a space where you could do a lot of gender exploration and yeah. still be like super grounded in your assigned gender at birth. Right. Yeah. And, but like in the cosplay space, because I see that still with Ruby, like Ruby yeah. loves my wigs yeah. and like really loves dressing up in this like 
I mean, Ruby's Halloween costume this year was so ravery. Like, yes, I loved like, it. But it was very feminine and girly. And so in the costumery space, Ruby's still super into all the girly stuff. Yeah. But it's just not, it's not coming out in like their day to day. So like, there's so much hope. There's so much hope. There's so much freedom there. Yeah. Just like doing so much exploration. Yeah. Costumes. Oh, I love Ugh, it. It's exciting. It's exciting times. I always love these conversations. Me too. Thanks for joining us again. I hope the listeners do too. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at fuck yeah pod and threads you can send us an email fyapod at gmail.com we've uh, revamped our website and we have a link in our instagram bio now where you can sign up on our newsletter so you never miss info about a live event or a season launch or a really exciting guest so yeah find us off of your headphones <laughs> <laughs> dial your radio find us out in the wild <sighs> yeah and you know what send in your fuck yes send in yeah. your tell us your celebrity crushes and you can tell us um you know your euphoric feminist parent moment or whatever it may be and maybe we'll play it on the show fuck yeah Fuck Yeah Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tom Chesson, a.k.a. my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith-Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.